Hello, I'm Joe Collins and welcome to See Me Church. Our mission is to love God and neighbor one household at a time. We're a group of ordinary people who believe in the extraordinary message of Jesus Christ. So no matter who you are or what your story, we're glad you're here. Today we have a special guest speaker all the way from Cincinnati, Ohio. He's called Marty Solomon. He's the host of the Bema podcast. Bema is a Hebrew word that refers to the elevated platform in the center of first century synagogues where the sacred text, or what we would call the Bible, was read. The purpose behind the staging was to reflect what they hoped to be true of their lives, that they would be centered around the Word of God. This is the same hope I have for my life and for Simi Church. You know, I got to know Marty earlier this year, and the best way I can describe him is that he is sort of a modern-day Christian rabbi, beard and all. His lesson today focuses on a one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and Philip. As always, the goal is to learn something relevant to our faith and life today. Before we hear from Marty, let's go to God in prayer. Father, I am grateful that we are able to worship with you this morning. Even though we are not physically together, we are together in spirit, and we know that whenever we gather in spirit, you gather with us. And that is such a gift and such an incredible blessing. I pray, God, as we listen to the sermon today, that we are ministered to, that each of us is brought closer to you, more grateful, more in awe, more in love, more in alignment with you and your will. And God, help our love for you to grow and deepen. Father, I pray that your spirit will speak to each and every one of us as we hear from Marty this morning. I know his message is challenging. I know it's convicting. I know it's inspiring. God, I pray that each of us walks out of here and we are committed to be citizens of your kingdom. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hello, Simi Church. I uh, hope that I'm saying that correctly. Um, you there in the Simi, Simi Valley, California. I look forward to a day when I will be able to visit Southern California again. It's one of my uh, common destinations with my job. And, and I have a lot of friends uh, in the greater Los Angeles area. And I look forward to being able to get down there. Maybe even soon meet some of you. My name is Marty Solomon. And uh, I am, for any of you who don't know my name, I'm the host of the, the Bema podcast, uh, the creator of that. We've been doing that since 2016, uh, me and my colleague Brent Billings. Um, I also serve as the president of Impact Campus Ministries, uh, which is a nonprofit, national, non-denominational campus ministry organization that's uh, rooted in the Stone Campbell movement. And so... Just very close uh, brothers and sisters to uh, you all there at uh, Simi Church. So it's good to meet you digitally. I look forward maybe someday to being there in person. You guys, as far as I understand it from Joe, um, you are all in a series right now, one-on-one. Um, -on -one, this kind of this journey exploring uh, all of these Bible characters that had different encounters with Jesus and what 
what are their experiences? What can we learn from these encounters that they have uh, with the Christ uh, there in their midst? And so uh, I, I picked one of my favorites that, uh, according to the list that Joe sent me, had not been done yet. Um, it's one of my favorite conversations. I usually reserve uh, this lesson for those that go on my trip to Turkey uh, to study with me over uh, and what, what used to be Biblical Asia and Asia Minor, but is modern-day Turkey. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it out of the old bag of tricks and uh, spend some time looking at it today. I want to look at the story of Philip, Philip the Apostle. Um, and we're going to, in order to look at that, we're going to spend almost all of our time in the Gospel of John today. John's really the only gospel writer that tells us much of anything about Philip. The synoptics will obviously mention Philip and list Philip amongst the disciples that Jesus calls, but no gospel writer except for John uh, spends any time looking at the stories of Philip, mentioning Philip in detail, or working him into the gospel narratives. Uh, and we're going to look at why that is. Um, but I want to, uh, I want to, I want to look at. I want to start right at the very beginning in John chapter 1. We're going to bump into Philip. Now, Philip, we know from the other gospel accounts, Philip is from a town uh, known as Bethsaida. Bethsaida is a part of what uh, they often will call the triangle. There, were, uh, there was a triangle of Orthodox Jewish, most of them fishing villages, that were um, a part of this ancient world. And that's where kind of the Orthodox... Um, devoted. It's the world of the Pharisees. Um, they're centered in what's called the Triangle. Uh, it's made up of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Those are kind of your main three cities. They sit on the north, northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee, and they make up um, kind of the world of the Pharisaical Jews, uh, people that were completely devoted and committed to walking out the text. That's where that's where Philip comes from. Philip is a young, probably a young boy, uh, coming out of the fishing village of Bethsaida. We meet him directly, first mentioned in uh, John chapter 1. And if we were to start reading in verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now, it's very likely in the ancient rabbinic context that Philip has been around Jesus for quite some time. Jesus has probably spent some time teaching, probably in public, and Philip has probably made time, has been able and enabled by others to be able to sit at Jesus's feet. He's probably been studying with Jesus, and Jesus has been watching him. And one day, Jesus comes to Philip and he says, you follow me. He gets that, that tap on the shoulder, the call to be a true Talmud a true disciple, the Hebrew word for disciple is Talmud, following the rabbi, following Jesus. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about from the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus, Yeshua of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip very early in the story plays this role, 
that you're going to see Philip play kind of throughout the story. Philip is often the go-between. Philip is the person who, who after meeting Jesus or being close to Jesus, is the one that's out connecting other people. Philip is a connector. Philip is somebody who's connecting people constantly to this Jesus character. So we bump into to Philip there. Now, there, there are, when you start studying church history, and you get into the book of Acts, there is a debate among scholars of whether or not we have one or two different Philips. You have Philip the Apostle, and then you have Philip the Evangelist. Philip the Evangelist, uh, who is mentioned in Acts. Now in Acts, it mentions that Philip the Evangelist, uh, Acts says he has four daughters who prophesy. Four daughters who prophesy. Now, many scholars, and I would maybe even say most people who just generally study the Bible, believe that Philip the Apostle and Philip the Evangelist are two different people. They say, why would why would Luke call Philip the Apostle Philip the Evangelist? They must be, there's Philip the Evangelist, and then there's Philip who followed Jesus, and those are two different Philips. And and that's, that's a possibility, but I, I don't think so. I think Philip the Apostle... It, this term, Philip the Evangelist, is going to fit Philip the Apostle to a T the entire time. Like, this is the role that Philip plays. Philip plays the role of evangelist. He's always the go-between. Like, Jesus calls Philip, and Philip's first response is to go get somebody else. Like, he goes and he gets Nathaniel. And we're going to see this consistently. I don't think it's a stretch at all to think that Philip the Apostle ended up earning the nickname Philip the Evangelist. But there's even more because church history, not church tradition, there's a difference, by the way. Church history, church historians, early church history is going to tell us that Philip from Bethsaida, Philip the Apostle, was the Philip who ended up in a place called Heropolis with, get this, seven daughters. Seven daughters. Doesn't it make sense that the Philip of Acts, Philip the Evangelist, who has four daughters who prophesy, is the same Philip who will end up having seven daughters. So there's a Philip known for his daughters, a Philip who is an evangelist, a Philip who's from Bethsaida. It seems to me that this, to me, my opinion, it's neither here nor there. It's not that important. You don't have to agree with me. I think this is the exact same Philip. But this Philip with seven daughters will end up in Heropolis, according to church history. Now, Heropolis is a part of another group of three cities, but it's not in the Galilee. Heropolis is actually far away, hundreds, thousands of miles away in modern-day Turkey, uh, in, a, in another triad of cities known as Laodicea, you might remember Laodicea from the book of Revelation, uh, Colossae, the book of Colossians, uh, and Heropolis. You have Laodicea, Colossae, and kind of in between them, almost not quite a direct line, like a real skinny triangle, in between them sits the city of Heropolis. This is where, according to church tradition and church history, Philip ends up settling with his family. We know from many uh, of the New Testament letters of Paul that there are others right in that same area of Colossae, from the book of Philemon, Colossians. Uh, there, there are the book of Acts. We know that Philip, there's a guy by the name of Epaphrodites. Uh, 
Epaphras. Um, they're in this they're in this area, kind of working with Paul, who's on these larger missionary journeys. And yet there are there's an apostolic presence. There's an apostolic community. John, who will write the Gospel of John, also obviously an apostle. The apostle John, he has ended up setting up shop in Ephesus. So John is in Ephesus, not too far away, but a a good. A good few days journey, a good week's journey away in Ephesus and some of the other apostles and those connected to them have settled in a place like Hierapolis. Um, but anyway, back to the Gospel of John. Back to the Gospel of John. Let's see here. Uh, John 6 is where we're going to run into Philip. Now, John 6 is a story of the, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, we we know that story, and yet Philip's not included in any of the gospel, of the other gospel accounts, and yet when John writes his gospel, he's going to include the the portion about Philip. Let's, let's see, we're going to start in verse 3 of John chapter 6. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd gathering, com- coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now listen to this. He asked them, Jesus asked him this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Jesus specifically asks Philip where they're going to get food to feed the 5,000 because Jesus wants to test Philip. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So, so here's, here's Philip and, and Jesus goes to test him. Jesus goes to ask him all about how they're going to feed these people. And Philip says, uh, eight months wages wouldn't buy enough bread for people to have just one bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go with so many? So Jesus has set this up, according to John, Jesus has set this up on purpose. Jesus has designed this moment just for his, and he, he tests Philip first. And I guess in a sense, in a Western sense, you could say, Philip fails the test. Jesus is like, I wonder where we'll get enough food. And Philip's like, eight months wages wouldn't provide enough food to feed all these people. And then, and then of course, there's, there's, uh, there's Andrew, right? I want to make sure I have that right. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he's like, he does, he's not much better, but he kind of like, at, at least he does a little bit better than Philip. He's like, well, I've, you know, there's this boy here. He's got five loaves and two fish, but I'm, I'm kind of with Philip. So Andrew's like, at least, Philip's like, no way. Andrew's like, well, I'm not, I'll give you what I got, but it's still not going to get the job done. And Philip, he's learning. He's le- But let's, let's keep following Philip's journey, shall we? What if we went to John chapter 12? So we're going to run into Philip next. A few chapters later, we end up in John chapter 12. Now watch, what we're going to see, we're going to see Philip, the evangelist, Stepping into this role yet again. Now, there were some Greeks, there were some Gentiles, outsiders, not Jews, not disciples following a Jewish rabbi. There were some Greeks among those who went to worship at the feast. 
And they came to Philip. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Who do the Greeks go to when they want to see Jesus? There's this Jewish rabbi in this Jewish context. There's these outsiders, and they want to see Jesus, and they don't know. But who do they go to? They go to Philip, because it seems that Philip has this special connection with the Greeks, with the Gentiles. And they go to him and they say, hey, hey, hey we want to see Jesus. Can you, can you get to Jesus? Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. So again, here is this Philip, whoever he is and however his heart beats. Like, I don't know what it is about how he's made, but Philip always finds himself on the outside connecting. He's out on the fringes. He's out on the margins connecting people to Jesus running the the kind of running the gap running interference like kind of playing this priestly role between this is who Philip is it's who Philip's always been even from the very first days when Jesus first called him his first impulse was to go find Nathaniel and he might have had some bad days here and there where Jesus was trying to teach Philip a lesson but he's always on these he's always on the edges the Greeks, the Greeks want to see Jesus, and who do they go to? They go to Philip because they know that Philip, Philip's the guy we can talk to. Philip's the guy that will help us out. And so Philip finds Andrew, and Philip and Andrew go, and they find Jesus. Uh, and, then, and then towards the end of the story, in John 14, we end up bumping into Philip again in an unusual place. Uh, we read this. Jesus on the last, this is the night that he's betrayed after Passover. And Jesus is talking to his disciples for what will be one of the last times before he's crucified. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place that I am going. So Jesus says, listen, don't, don't let yourself be troubled. I, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. And you know the way that I'm going. Now, to this Thomas, some, another disciple, Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Like Jesus just said, I go to prepare a place where you know the way. And Thomas is like, Jesus, we don't, we have no idea what you're talking about. How do we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really know me, you would know my father as well. But from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says, Thomas, you, you do know the way because you know me and I am the way. I'm the truth and the life that if you want to know the father, you come through me. You, you're seeing the father when you see me, Philip, there's Philip. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough. 
Philip says, Lord, what, what do I see here? Philip's growing. You remember the day, you remember the day on the, on the hillside feeding the 5,000 people and Jesus was like, where are we getting enough bread? And Philip's like, eight months wages won't give you enough bread. And now Jesus is like, he, he essentially is saying, I, I, I go to prepare a place for you and you know the way. And Thomas is like, we don't know the way. And Philip has learned something. Philip now speaks up and he goes, Jesus, just show us the father and that will be enough. Like, like last time I wasn't ready, but this time I'm ready, Jesus. This time I'm ready. You see Philip growing. You see Philip learning. You see Philip changing. And then there's this response. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has seen, who has faith in me, will do what I have been doing. I'll say that again. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. So Jesus continues to speak to, shape, test, mold Philip. And Philip has learned. Philip is growing. Philip's got a, a little fire in his belly that has kind of been fanned into a flame. And he's not quite there yet. Like Jesus is still kind of giving him a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of the what for as, as Philip says. But Jesus, like, that'll be enough. And Jesus is like, are you serious, Philip? You? So it's still not Philip's like, finest moment but Philip is growing and what Jesus tells Philip and the rest of the disciples as he does is he says Philip you all the the, the you they're plural like you all you, you'll do greater things we'll do greater things than Jesus not Philip will do will be greater than Jesus or anybody one person will be greater than but all of God's all of Jesus's people all those apostles together together with the Spirit of God living, because Jesus goes to the Father, the Spirit of God living through all of God's people together, they together will do greater things than Jesus was able to do simply by himself as far as the ministry that he had here on earth, uh, the ways that he was able to heal others, the teaching, um, the, the spreading the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. They'll, they'll be able to do even greater things than like Jesus. What an incredible conversation. And, and one of the things that I just learn so much from Philip as I study his life. I mean, why does it, why does it, by the way, that John, not Matthew, not Mark, not Luke, why is it that John is the one who, who tells the story of Philip? Like why? Like when we read the story of Jesus calling Philip and Nathaniel, does Matthew tell that story? No. Mark? No. Does Luke? No. John. Why does John tell that story? Why, why is it that when they tell the story of the feeding of the 5,000, John's the only one to mention Philip? Matthew, Mark, Luke. Do they mention Philip? No. What, 
Why is it that John has the story of how the Greeks and the Gentiles, they want to come talk to Jesus? And who is it that they reach out to? They reach out to Philip. Why is that story in John? Why is it not in Matthew or Mark or Luke? Why is it that at the end of Jesus's life and there are all these conversations and why does John include a conversation with Philip that Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't include? It's because John wrote a unique gospel that was for a unique audience and a unique group of people. You see, John's gospel, his audience was to the church in, in biblical Asia and Asia Minor, what is now today modern day Turkey. And, and, and John wrote this gospel specifically for that audience. Matthew's gospel is written more for a Jewish audience, probably more in the realm of Judea and the Galilee. Mark, he wrote a, a gospel to the Romans. Uh, pr spread probably in many different places, but it was a unique gospel. Luke, he seemed to write a gospel that was either, we can't really decide if it was pointed towards the Gentiles or if actually Luke's gospel is a, a parasha companion for a, a synagogue, uh, for synagogue engagement. But none of these gospels were written for or directly engaged the unique culture that was Asia and Asia Minor which was the world of John. Remember John, the apostle John ends up settling in Ephesus and he will write a gospel specifically designed for the church that has spread out over the diaspora, a church that has gone into the, to the ends of the earth, to Asia and Asia Minor. And John writes a gospel specifically for the people of Asia and Asia Minor. And why does he tell the story of Philip? Because the church of Asia and Asia Minor knows Philip personally. They know him. He lives down in Heropolis. They see him. He visits their home group. They know Philip. And so when they read John's gospel, they can even tell Philip. Like, I can imagine them reading John's gospel for like maybe the first time or the first few times. And Philip's there in the room. And John, you know, they're reading John's gospel. And they get to the story about the feeding of the 5,000. And they say, and, and they read about Philip saying eight months wages wouldn't. And I picture this home group going, Philip, did you really say that? Did you really say eight months wages wouldn't fill? I can't believe that, Philip. You're such a man of faith today. Like, John tells the story of Philip because people know Philip and they'll be able to see what Jesus has done in Philip's life. And Philip, his whole life has been about people on the outside. Why does John tell the story of the Greeks coming to Philip and saying we want to know Jesus? Because those are the people reading John's gospel. And they know Philip. And they too know what it's like to come to Philip and say, Philip, can you tell us about Jesus? Philip the evangelist. But I want to close by making one last point because there's something else that we know about Philip. At that last conversation there in John 14, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you uh, and you know the way. Thomas says, how? We, we don't know the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And of course, when Jesus says that, I, I, I truly believe that Jesus is talking about how he goes to prepare a place, whatever that is, a heavenly place, or he goes to prepare a uh, an eternal place for us. I, I believe that. I believe that. 
But I also think that one of the things that Jesus is saying to his disciples is he's not saying, I go to the cross so that you don't have to. Jesus is saying, I'm showing, I'm preparing a place for you. I am showing you the way. It's not just that I am the way and I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is saying, I'm showing you the way to the Father. I'm showing you what following Christ look. You want to follow me. I'm showing you, and I believe this because of how the whole conversation from John 13 through John 17, there's a whole discourse there. I think one of the things that Jesus is saying to Thomas and to Philip and to the disciples at night is I'm showing you what it looks like to be a part of this project that God is bringing about. Because we know how Philip's story ends. Philip's story will end in Heropolis. One of the reasons I take my group there is to, to study Heropolis and to study the life of Philip. But at the top of a hill, right, at, right in the ruins of Heropolis, in the back of the ruins at the top of a hill, sits the martyrium of Philip. And his tomb was recently discovered. I believe it's the right tomb, a burial place for Philip the Apostle. And there's a church there that stands uh, as a reminder of the life of Philip because Philip was killed by Rome in Heropolis. Philip was brought to the city gate, the Domitian gate right outside of Heropolis, and he was hung from the city gate upside down with a chain that was pulled through. They cut through right, right in between his Achilles, his Achilles tendons, and they hung him by his Achilles tendons from the city gate upside down. They took Philip's seven daughters and they put them just outside of reach as he was hanging there, crucified in a sense, upside down. And as his daughters, one by one, were abused and violated and ultimately executed, one by one, church History tells us that his daughters, with their dying breaths, begged their dad. He was told, if you just renounce Jesus, if you just give up this whole gospel thing, uh, we'll save your family. And one by one, his daughters begged them with their dying breath, don't do it, dad. Don't give up on Jesus. And, uh, and he didn't. According to church history, Philip... Uh, was crucified there after all of his daughters um, at the gate of Heropolis. I love that story um, because I find it so instructive for me. I, I fear, I fear a couple things about God's people, particularly in the American church today. I fear that uh, we like to associate with Philip in that story, like the persecuted, uh, those standing strong for the faith, when far too many of us 
and and most days myself included, we need to associate with the Romans who put him to death. We we as Christians in America uh, like to believe that um, we are persecuted. That because uh, they don't say Merry Christmas anymore or because they want to change the sign outside of the public restroom or because of this legislation or that legislation or because of the coffee cups at Starbucks that we are a persecuted breed. And Philip, for me, reminds me I know very little about persecution. And what I typically call persecution, uh, what so many of us, not all of us, what many of us call persecution is simply the loss of privilege. I know that's true for me. Uh, I know that I don't spend enough time pursuing the work of the gospel, pursuing the kingdom of God in ways that Philip did. I don't, I don't take care of the marginalized and the outside, the outsider, the oppressed. I don't, I don't listen for the cry of people who are mistreated enough. I don't, I don't respond in a way that would make the empire show up at my door and want to take my life. Want to drag me and my daughters outside the city because I threaten the very existence of empire. Because of my love and my mercy and my grace and the fruit of the Spirit. I know Far too often, I look and I smell and I act like the empire. And I lean on it. I, I worry about that. I, but I also worry about... I'll, I'll, let me just... Maybe it's the same worry, but I'll state it a different way. I fear... I fear that we use Jesus as a mascot. not as our Lord. Like he's, he's the mascot. He's the, he's the banner we wave. He's, he's the guy we'll put on our t-shirt. But what, what is this series that we're, that you're engaging there? This, this one-on-one encounters with Jesus. It's, we're supposed to be looking at the stories of these people that met Jesus and how they were radically changed. Philip gave his life in Heropolis. He gave, he gave his life because Jesus had changed him, because he was willing to learn for his whole life. But he watched his rabbi. And his rabbi had told him, I go to prepare a place for you. And I am the way. And rather than sitting back and treating Jesus like a mascot, rather than Philip saying, well, thank goodness that Jesus went to the cross so that I don't have to. 
Philip said, Jesus went to the cross to show me how to. Which fits, by the way. Jesus told us. He told guys like Philip. And everybody that would come after Philip, like you and me, Jesus said, whoever wants to follow me, just take up their cross. Die to themselves daily and follow me. It's the writer of Hebrews that would say that in Jesus' suffering, Jesus showed us, too, how to suffer. Whatever it was that Philip saw in Jesus throughout his life, whatever it was that Philip saw in Jesus as he watched him die, Whatever it was that Philip heard from Jesus, the resurrected Christ after he was raised from the tomb, and, and it says he taught his disciples for 40 days about the kingdom of God, like Philip heard all, whatever it was about all of that, everything that Philip experienced with Christ radically changed him, and he would give his life, in this case, literally, for the sake of of the gospel, for the sake of bringing peace and kingdom and wholeness and acceptance to everyone, even those Greeks, even the Gentiles, even the outsiders, even the pagan sinners, the ones that came and said, Philip, we'd like to see Jesus. Could you help us see Jesus? That's Philip gave his life for that. And there are many of you watching this. There are many of you watching this today who have spent a lifetime, just like Philip, you've spent a lifetime following Jesus. Some of you are, are maybe fresh and, and new believers and still young in the faith. And that's, that's awesome. And there's things you can learn from Philip too. But there are some of you that have been following Jesus for most of your life for much of your life at least. And I hope, I pray that you and I both learn from Philip. That we learn that part of what we're supposed to do is be changed, to grow. That if I still have the same faith 10 years from now that I do today, something is horribly wrong. That if I still have the same faith three years from now, over the course of three years, Philip's life was visibly, radically growing and changing. I hope that we learn from that. But I hope that we also learn from an all-consuming model that Philip set for us. To be people totally, utterly devoted to something other than protecting my way of life. Because Philip was willing to bring the kingdom to everybody else. He wasn't going to start slinging stones back at his accusers. He was going to follow his rabbi. I pray we can learn from that. I'll, I'll close with a prayer. God, I... God, I pray that your 
spirit would weed through all the discernment here. I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help each individual listening today, but, but also the, the corporate body there at Simi Church. Uh, God, I pray that um, the Holy Spirit would help us and help them apply this, this passage, this reflection, this message. God, anything that, anything that's coming from me, anything that is wrapped up in my own convictions and personal persuasions that are anything other than the kingdom, I pray that your spirit would pick up, pick that apart and, and do away with anything, would not let any of those things take root in our minds and in our hearts. But God, for the things that come from you, for, for the things that, that we can learn from the life of Philip, I pray that we would remember that he's, he, he stands in the great crowd of witnesses. This great cloud that Hebrews speaks of. Full of some of the amazing greats that are listed there in the book of Hebrews. People like Moses and, and, uh, and Enoch and Avram and and all these great people and all the people that weren't even able to be men that mentioned the uh, Barack and the, and Samson and God, one of those people is Philip. He, he stands in this cloud of witnesses as, as a model, as an example, as somebody cheering us on as we run, hopefully as hard as we can this race that we're in and we strive to finish our race well as we set our sights on the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, we, we, uh, we, we love you. Uh, we don't love you like we ought. Uh, we don't love you as much as maybe, uh, or as well as we will later, but but hopefully we love you more than we used to. And, and we pray that you would continue to take us on that journey and shape us and change us and mold us. God, we, we pray all these things in the name of the resurrected Jesus. Amen. Thank you for letting me uh, visit you today digitally. And I look forward to being able to meet many of you in person someday. And... Um, May God just bless your time richly this morning and in the days to come. Thank you. I really want to thank Marty for speaking to us today. At this time, we're going to take communion and pray for our weekly offering. All you need is some matzah and some grape juice. You know, at Simi Church, we believe the Bible is the best source of truth in our world today. In it, we learn that Jesus is Lord, that he lived a sinless life, died on a cross, and rose to life again. And it's in this belief that we do everything. After I say a prayer, there will be a few minutes of music to allow you time to eat the bread and drink the cup in remembrance of Jesus and to meditate on his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Let's go to God in prayer. 
Father, I want to thank you for such an incredible message. I'm so convicted. I so want to repent and live my life in total devotion to you. I want to say thank you for this opportunity to commune with you, to remember you by taking the bread and drinking the cup, and to remember your body and your blood, uh, of the body and blood of Jesus Christ that was sacrificed on the cross for me. Not to spare me, but to show me the way. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to give back to you today, just even a little bit of our income to support the work of the church and the and the ministry and, and its influence on the world around us. I pray that you bless it. Father, as we take communion today, I just pray that you hear our joint prayer of gratitude, of thanksgiving, of love and appreciation for you and for your son Jesus and for what he did for us on that cross and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. your hands as we raise the only name worthy to be praised. Death could not hold you, the veil tore before you, you silence the best of sin and grave. The heavens are
If you did not take communion with us, please do so later today. We want See Me Church to be your church, your family's church, and your neighbor's church. If you want to know more, connect with the person who told you about us, or feel free to contact us through our website. If you like what we're doing at See Me Church, please consider giving today. We are a member-supported fellowship by people like me. You can give online at seemy.church or by texting keyword seemechurch to 77977. Also, I want to remind you to engage your worlds for Christ. You can do this by praying for, investing in, and being Jesus to the people you know. And don't forget to invite them to Seemy Church. You can do this by sharing a link to our website and social media outlets. Next week, we'll be meeting in person for another tailgate worship at the usual time and location. For details, go to seemy.church. God bless, and we'll see you next Sunday. Been holding on for too long, singing the same, those the same songs, putting me behind the misery. It's all for me. Been holding on for too long, but now I've got nothing to hold on.